just share with you a little bit about what God has, um, has sent us into. So just give you a few minutes to do that. Um, uh, one thing I know is you're not going to go anywhere because there's ice cream after church. And so um, is this a good place for this to be? All right. So uh, let me just share a, a few things uh, about the journey of the last few years. I want to be brief in that part and uh, maybe give you an opportunity if you have some questions after church tonight um, to ask those questions. I'd uh, be happy to answer that. In, in, in the scope of explaining a ministry, it would take uh, an hour to explain and go through a bit of the journey and all that God has done, and I don't want to I don't want to take that much time uh, this evening, but I do want to just share uh, just a couple of things with you. God had begun, as you know, to work uh, in my heart a number of years ago, and uh, I didn't have a, a clear understanding of how that was going to work. I just knew that God was, was preparing me for something, and so uh, in, in process of time, through circumstances that you're aware of, it obviously became uh, evident that God was going to lead us away for, uh, for a season, and... Uh, you know, when you sort of go through a season like that in life, you don't really know where you're going to end up. You just don't know. And so all we knew is, uh, as we sang tonight, there were, there were promises that God had for our life. And uh, really, what can we do? At the end of the day, we can just step out onto what God is and just wait for the Lord. And so that's what we did. We waited for a while. And uh, some time went by, and the Lord was taking care of us. And we were praying and waiting and um, just listening to the Lord. But uh, in that whole journey over the last three years particularly, um, the Lord had really been working in my heart with regards to evangelism, and um, you may be aware of that um, from even years ago, but that has certainly been what I think my gifting is. And uh, so just, we're just waiting on the Lord in that in regards to that. Uh, you know Brad Wells. Brother Wells was in uh, Papua New Guinea for a number of years, and was here a, a time or two or three with uh, some of his family, or maybe it was just his wife, I, I don't recall. But uh, God had sent Brother Wells to, uh, to Washington, D.C., uh, and he had given him the, uh, the task of starting a church there up on Capitol Hill. And if you're not familiar with that area, that's basically the, the capital territory, much like, much like the ACT here. And so Brother Brad went, and uh, this is in its third year now, but planted a church there uh, just down the, the uh, Pennsylvania Avenue from where the Capitol building is in, in the United States. And so... What God has given us to do is to go there, and uh, we are uh, members of that church now uh, there in, on Capitol Hill, and uh, we are sent in to uh, preach the gospel into uh, particularly the, the military that's there and into the, the legislators that are there and try to reach them with the gospel. So it's a different type of mission field. Um, I had originally surrendered to Africa, and... Uh, I'm not sure whether that would have been an easier mission field than politicians, but I do know this. In all seriousness, I do know that, uh, that God has a desire for those in authority to hear the gospel and be born again. Uh, and when we, when we read the Bible and we see we have a command to pray for those that are in authority, 1 Timothy chapter 2, you're familiar with that, right? And, and we, we ought to, brethren, we ought to pray for them, and it's not just so that we get the benefit of living a quiet and peaceable life. But in the context of that chapter, it says uh, that speaking of God, that he will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. The context of those verses is dealing with the salvation of those in authority. So all men need to be saved. We know that. But particularly, God is using that, that portion of Scripture to tell us that his desire is that those in leadership would be saved. Some things have happened in our country here, this one. 
because I have two countries, okay, but our country here, um, in the last several days, as you know, some, some legislation has been passed that will significantly impact our nation in a very, very bad way. And I believe it is the will and intent of God that those in leadership in Australia hear the gospel and be born again. And I want to encourage you to, to pray to that end. And so, anyway, um, you know, whether, whether they are saved or lost, they must hear the gospel. That's the point. And so it's what the, the missions team did, you know, up in, in the outback. It's what other missionaries are doing. It's what we're doing as well. It's just in that particular field. So what we're doing now is we've got some of these cards. I don't know. Do we have any of these in the back there? I've got a few more. I charge $1.50, all right, for these cards. Um, but they'll be in the back, and, and we'll make sure that there's plenty for the, for the church. We, just, we want you to pray for us. When we went on deputation the first time years ago to come to Australia, we, me, I thought that deputation was a, a fundraising mechanism. I don't know if you thought that, but that's what I thought. Okay, I've got to raise the funds to get where I'm supposed to go. But on the other side of this journey, we're back to raising support again. That's what we're doing now. Um, and I realize more than ever now that God is not the least bit concerned about finances. Do you understand? He's not bothered by finances. He owns the ground, the dirt, the gold. He owns it all. What God wants is us to pray. And he already gave us, gave us a command to, to pray that God would send laborers into the harvest. Paul, when he was talking to the churches about his ministry, he said, brethren, pray for us. It, what, what Paul was looking for was an open door. And he knew that God is the only one that can open a door. So when, when you pray for our family when it, in the context of ministry, will you just please pray that God would open doors for us? Um, because really that's what we need. If we're going to be effective, whatever, however you want to define effective, if we're going to be effective in the ministry, it's only be, going to be because God opens doors um, for us to be that way. And so um, we are, uh, we're glad that we have an opportunity to serve the Lord. We are. And uh, glad that we have an opportunity to have a, another step. And uh, we really do pray that God would continue to connect our paths uh, here in Australia, and uh, so we, we think that the Lord will do that, but we're, we're just waiting and trusting in the Lord as far as, uh, as far as how all that plays out. So we are on our way to Washington, D.C. We'll be headed that direction, Lord willing, the 1st of February, um, and I'll try to get uh, my wife and children uh, sort of anchored down on that side of the country so they don't have to travel with me, and then I'll be on the road uh, through the course of next year trying to raise financial support. So we, we really do need support. And appreciate you praying that God would provide uh, in that way for us. But uh, what we have learned already is this, that God is faithful. God is faithful. And uh, no doubt you know that in your life. Amen? God is faithful. Hey, I want to say something to you that went on that trip. <clears throat> I'm glad for what you said. Uh, you, you testified some things here. And I know it's always awkward when you stand up here. I've watched a lot of you stand here awkwardly when you're a lot younger. But you had a common theme in what you said. And essentially, here's what you said. God has burdened me about the lost. That's what you said. You all said it in a different way, some more eloquently, and it doesn't matter. What matters is that God burdened your heart for the lost. And so let me just say, a uh, hundred meters from this pulpit, they're going to be building a high rise right back here. And how many hundreds of souls will move into that place 100 meters from this church? And while I'm, I'm grateful for where you've been and I thank the Lord for what he's done in your heart, now is time for you to take that burden and what God showed you and put it into practice in your backyard. And um, so you need to do that.
and then can I encourage you, because you were all young that stood up here, bring your parents with you on that journey. Because sometimes we just, we kind of lose the vision sometimes. And uh, a lot of times we need the young people to help us get our vision back. Praise the Lord. It's not a rebuke. It's praise the Lord. So I'm encouraged. I, I, uh, I'm really glad you keep that vision going. All right, turn with me to Mark chapter 6 tonight, if you will. Um, I didn't ask what time to be done. And so um, <clears throat> I'm not going to worry about that. I want to, I don't know that I'm really going to preach tonight. I'm going to spend some time here and you know, I know that in, in a teaching type of a message, I know it's easy for our eyes to glaze over, you know, and we just sort of nod our head and fall asleep. And I really want to ask you to try to stay engaged here because I've noticed something in the week and a half that we've been here in Australia. Um, I've, I've, I've met with some of you and just had the privilege of getting reacquainted with many of you. And then I just heard sort of by the, by the way, you know, in church today and, and other things, you know, and just... Here's what I've seen in the church. My perception is um, uh, there have been many of you that have, have gone through a storm. And there are many of you sitting here right now that are right in the middle of it. It's just been a common theme from what I've heard. Uh, is that fair? It's a common theme. <clears throat> and storms affect anybody. Storms affect everybody. Nobody's exempt from the storms. So we have this amazing story in Mark chapter 6. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a fairy tale. Uh, it's a happening. It, it took place in the Bible. Brethren, we have God's word, right? And he says, okay, let me tell you about something that happened because there's something you need to know from this that's going to help you. And I want to talk to you tonight as, as, as if you're in a storm. One of the problems with us as believers in being in a storm is sometimes uh, we think nobody understands it. Uh, there's sometimes we're in the middle of a storm and we think uh, that we're the only one that's ever gone through it. Uh, there, there's sometimes we're in the middle of the storm and we don't know how to respond to it. And so oftentimes what happens when we deal with storms in our life is we pull back from those that can help. Uh, we pull back from those that really love us and we withdraw into ourselves, and we spend some time fearful in the ship. All right? We're prone to do that. And so we learn something here about uh, in this story, and I want to read the story here with you. Mark chapter 6, if I didn't ask you to turn there. And I want you to go down with me to verse number 45. This is right after 5,000 are fed. You remember that story? Jesus fed the 5,000. What a story. I want you to put yourself in the context. Brethren, it helps. It helps. So let's put ourselves in the story, shall we? Here we have 12 disciples uh, on the side of a mountain a little hill, a gently rolling hill. 5,000 men plus whoever else were there sat down by companies and the Son of God took a little bit of lunch, had a word of prayer and thanksgiving to the Father and he broke that, stuck it back in the little baskets, gave it to those 12 men and said, feed the 5,000 and they fed it. Now, as so often happened in the, uh, in the New Testament, God shows us that the, that the men closest to Jesus missed the moment. But I don't, I, I'm not casting a stone because I can tell you I have missed the moment many times in my life. But they missed the moment, and yet did, did not Jesus uh, have a great victory? Was there not a great miracle that took place? The answer is, of course, well, yes. Uh, this was miraculous. This was the Son of God who did something that no man could do. 
And so the disciples were participants in a miracle. They had nothing to do with the miracle. They distributed the miracle. Can I tell you, that's the way we are with our soul winning? We got nothing to do with the miracle of conversion. All we're supposed to do is dip into the basket and hand it to the guy who's hungry. Come on, guys, that's what we do. And we participate in the miracle. We got nothing to do with it. All we are is just one beggar telling another beggar, here's the bread, let me show it to you. So the disciples saw all of this taking place and, um, and, and they, they missed it. So it's over. The story ends here where verse 42 of this chapter, they did all eat and were filled. And not only did that happen, but then they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And it's just, it's, aston- it's astonishing to me that not only were all these people fed, but there was leftovers. And it says in verse 45, and straightway, immediately after this, uh, Jesus, he constrained his disciples to get into the ship to, to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. So the crowds are still assembled and Jesus takes the 12 and says, get into the ship. All you 12 men get into this ship and go to Bethsaida and I will meet you there. But he was going to dismiss the people. He's going to send them away. So it wasn't their job to send the people away. It's their job to get in the boat. And so he sent the people away. Um, and he sent his disciples away. And I want you to notice what Jesus did in verse 46. When he, when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and, and he alone on the land. So now uh, some time has gone by. Some hours have gone by. The multitudes have been uh, dis- dispersed and they're on their way back to their homes. Uh, the even now has come. And here's Jesus uh, alone on the land, on the mountain, overlooking the sea and it's now coming toward evening. Verse 48, And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, uh, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered, and brethren, wouldn't we? But look at 52, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Lord, now we need your help tonight as we open this passage of Scripture. It's an amazing story. We've, we've read it, many of us, our, our whole life, and it's one of those kids' stories that we see in the Bible story books. But Lord, you put this here. And it was more than just an event of getting 12 men to the other side of the ocean. Lord, you put it here because there's a purpose in it for us. And so I pray for these, my friends, tonight. Because I know some of them are in a storm. Lord, you love them. And you want to help them in this time. And Lord, what we need to do now tonight is we need to let our guard down. And Lord, we need to open our heart to the teaching, preaching of your word, and we need to be receptive to the truth. And God, we need to learn the lessons from the storm. And so help us, Lord, as we face contrary winds in our life to know how to deal with them, that you'd be glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray. And you notice what it says here in verse number 48. Can you see that in your Bible? He saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. Contrary winds. It would be rare in a, in a group this size here tonight that there were not a fairly large percentage that are sitting here that are not dealing with a certain amount of hardship in your life. 
can be a rare thing. Oftentimes, it's conflict that motivates us to go to church. I mean, conflict in our life. We, we're looking, we're searching, we're trying to find an answer, we're trying to get some help, and we go and we're seeking the Lord, and uh, what's well, the way it ought to be? I want you to notice what, um, what had happened previously. We talk about the confidence that the disciples had. They, they had seen all of these things that Jesus had done. If you were to go back a little bit in the book of Mark, you'd find out that he, he healed the man that had that withered hand. Remember that? He'd, he'd cast out devils. Uh, they were sent to preach. They, they healed those that were sick. They cast out devils themselves, right? Uh, they, they had observed that Jesus had spoken the wind and waves into silence. Uh, he healed the woman with an issue of blood. He, he raised... Jairus's daughter from the dead, and then to cap it off, he fed 5,000 people with a couple little pieces of fish. So they were, they were witnesses of all of this that Jesus had done, and they had, tremendous, they had tremendous confidence, or they should have had confidence in the Messiah. See, they were chosen, and they were called, but brethren, they were calloused. You with me? And so we see that their confidence should have been in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, their circumstances now became this, where they're now sent into a ship. And we read the conclusion uh, of all of this in, in verse 50. They saw him and they were troubled. And the, the conclusion of all of this was there was fear in their life. But what we learn here is this, that oftentimes uh, God will send us into something in his will because he wants to teach us a lesson in the storm. What we want is smooth sailing. You know what we want? We want to never have a financial problem. I've never met anybody who said, man, I can't wait to have the next bankruptcy. But I know Christians that have gone bankrupt. Uh, we're not throwing stones, just telling you how it is. There's not a one of us that wanted a marriage breakup, and yet there's a lot, of, a lot of Christians have had some serious marriage problems. It's not God's fault, by the way. We know that. We know that. We never wanted a child to go astray. We never wanted to have a health problem. We never wanted to lose our job. We never wanted our reputation to be tarnished. And these things happen in life, but there are intended lessons in these times of contrary winds. And so when we get into the midst of a storm, what we need to learn from this passage of Scripture is that, that God is trying to teach us some things and help us to understand some things, and may they be an encouragement to us tonight. And if you have the ability to write this down, you might write it down if it's something that God... Lays, your, lays upon your heart, all right? Let me teach you some, some simple lessons tonight about contrary winds. First, first of all this, the Son of God is unaffected by contrary winds. You know what the story said? It says that Jesus came to them walking on the water. I don't mean he was unmoved by their pain, but he was unaffected by what affected them. And we need to understand something about the God that we serve. That the things that bother us and affect us and drive us contrary to where we want to be in life, they do not affect Him. He is above all of that. In other words, what God is saying is, I want you to recognize my power over these things that you're facing. I want you to recognize that I am more powerful than all of this that you're facing in your life. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar said this about God. He said, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he, speaking of God, he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. And none can say unto him, what doest thou? God is saying, 
I control this world and all that's in the world, and you have no control. And what affects you, I am unmoved by that. It does not affect me. You understand what he's saying here? When Jesus came to his disciples after the resurrection, he said this to them, all power is given unto me. We know that led into the commission we have to reach the world, but don't miss the purpose of what he was saying. I have all power. And we need to learn the tremendous lesson that when we face contrary winds in our life, we are under the watchful care of a Savior who is unmoved by the things that bother us. Where was Jesus in the time of this storm, you know? He read it. He was on top of the mountain watching them. He could see all that they were going through. He was under, they were under the, the watchful care and gaze of the Son of God. We need to be encouraged by that. To Jeremiah, God said this, Behold, I am the Lord God, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Uh, to Mary, the angel said, For with God, nothing shall be impossible. To Abraham, God said, Is anything too hard for the Lord? To the disciples, the Lord Jesus Christ said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You see, in theology, we call this omnipotence. We call this omnipotence, the, the all-powerful God. But in the practicality of the Christian life, what we're meant to do is fall to our knees as Thomas did and say, my Lord and my God. We're meant to say, God, I am moved and I am bothered and I am fearful in this thing, but I know that whatever the circumstance is affecting my life, it does not affect you. You are above all. God wants us to know in times of storm, I'm not bothered by this. I'm over this. In other words, what he's saying is you can trust me. I can handle this thing for you. But doesn't that really encapsulate what our struggle is when we're going through a hard time? Because what we're saying is I'm struggling and all of the things, all of the emotions that go with struggle, you know what some of those things are? There's anger, there's fear, there's bitterness, there's hatred, there's resentment. All of the things that come into our life because we struggle, what we're effectively doing is saying, God, you don't care, you don't see, you're unable, so I have to deal with this thing. And what God is saying is, no, I'm... I'm unaffected by what's affecting you, but I can see you go through it because he was on the mountain watching this whole thing. Let me give you a second thought tonight about storms, contrary winds in your life. Can I ask you a question before I give you this thought? Uh, who was it that sent the disciples away? Yeah. Was it the will of God they got in the ship? Were they out of the will of God in the ship? Did he give them a specific destination, Bethsaida? Did they encounter a storm along that journey? So they encountered a storm in the will of God. More than that, he sent them into the storm. So let me give you the thought then. With that in mind, here's the thought. God has no intention of changing our circumstances. What he wants to do is change our perspective in our circumstances. You say, I don't like my circumstances. They're unjust. They're unfair. You know what we do when we're faced with a storm? We are tempted to do this, brethren. We want to go to God with a list of all our accomplishments for him. God, I did this, 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 and this, and, and I haven't done this, this, and this. 
I'm living right. I'm acting right. I'm winning souls to Christ. I'm faithful. I'm not out there smoking. I'm not out there partying with the friends. I'm living for God. And you sent this into my life? Yeah, I sure did. Because maybe your attitude and your perspective needs to be changed. He sent you the circumstances and he's watching our perspective in the circumstances. Uh, what our first reaction really is in times of a storm, and we see this all through scripture. Um, here's what we want to do. We want to run away. Man, this hurts. I want to run. David said this, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I'd fly away. I want to run away from this. It hurts too much. I, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with the hurt. I can't deal with the humiliation. I don't even know how to deal with my own heart in this thing. I'm struggling. I'm afraid. Come on, you can relate to this, right? I want to run. I'm going to pack my bags. I'm out. I'm going to hang it up and I'm going to escape. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I'd just fly away. But it was God that sent the storm. And more than that, it was God that sent them into the storm. So he didn't want to change the circumstances of these 12 men in a ship. You're right. He wanted their perspective to change while they were in the midst of the storm. It was David who said in Psalm 31, bow down thine ear and deliver me speedily. Quick, God, get me out of here. Quick, God, deliver me from this. One of the best things I believe that the Lord ever did in my life happened right here. Happened right here. I was on a ladder, and I was working on that. But it was before this one. We had something else up there. I don't remember. And that's way up there. And I was on this ladder, and I was trying to work on the wiring and just, you know, stuff like that. And as Brother Roger knows, I'm not an electrician or a builder or anything. I'm up there on the ladder. And I've been up there for a long time, and I was reaching up there, and I was doing all this stuff with my hands over my head. And I just felt a little, oh, all I felt just a little right here. There was no big bang. I, I didn't fall off the ladder. I don't have a great story to tell. It was like God reached down and went, touch me right here. And I was injured. And from that moment till today, I have been weak. Weaker than I have ever been. And what I've seen over the years is that the weakness progresses. The pain increases. It seems to be an overleaf. And yet I can honestly tell you, I believe that's one of the kindest things the Lord has ever done for me. Because I have sought to escape the hurt of that particular storm in my life. And I have felt how much it has limited me and I have believed that I could do so much more and I could be so much more and all those things that I've tried to escape the storm. Instead of realizing it might have been the kindness of God, it wasn't that he wanted to take it away from me, he wanted my perspective to change. I don't know what your storm is tonight, but you're probably in one. And what you're saying is this, I didn't ask for this. And man, I wish I could run away from this. David said, I wish I could fly away and be at rest. Here's what I'll tell you. If you try to escape what God brings into your life, you'll never rest. You won't be able to. Because the Bible tells us this, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in thee. You want the rest? It's got to come with the trust. You understand? You're not going to trust God if you're not in the middle of a storm. 
You've got to be able to, you got to be able to have a problem to grab a hold of God and say, God, I need you in this thing. And he says, now I'll give you the peace. Now you'll get the rest you're looking after. But we have this tendency as people who want to run away. But the response of God is amazing here because all it simply says is this. Uh, he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. You see that in verse 48? You see, the response of God is different than our response. We want to run away. But God is less concerned with my adversity than my response to the adversity. He's less concerned. He brought the adversity into their life. He was looking at how they had responded to this. Remember the story of, uh, was it Elijah? I can never get those two guys right. Elijah and Elisha. But it's one of those guys, all right? In 2 Kings chapter 6, the servant gets up early, went out, went out and stood on the wall. Remember the story? And he sees all the hosts of the uh, Syrians around the city. Alas, my master, how shall we do? In other words, we're going to die. You know what the, the prophet said? He just said, Lord, open his eyes that he can see. What he was saying is, all you see is your circumstances, but you don't see what God sees. And so he said, God, will you please just open his eyes? And God supernaturally pulled the veil away from this guy's eyes, and he saw the horses and chariots of fire all around that army. What was that perspective? God was simply saying, I'm going to show you what you cannot see. That's probably never going to happen in your life. You're not, you're not going to see the chariots of fire. But you don't need to because you, you need to have faith that the things that God said about himself are true. Brethren, that's called faith. Faith is not blind. It's not stepping out into the unknown. Faith is rooted in God. It's rooted in the promise of God. And when we know what God has promised, then we have faith that what he said he would do, he would in fact do. And we stand on those promises. That's what faith is. We're stepping out onto what God said. And then what we do is we have the right perspective that what God is doing in my life is actually good and he's above all of this. And what he's looking at is my response to this to be a response of faith and not fear. Faith and not fear. Now I want you to look in this chapter, chapter 6. This is an amazing thought. Verse 48 he sees them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, that's a long time from when they started. About the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea. And do you see this? And he would have passed by them. I think it's very interesting to see the, the intent of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, and he would have passed by them. Now, the language of Scripture is always right. Can I get an amen to that? It's always right. So here's what it says. <clears throat> We're just going to believe what it says. Jesus said, I want you to go to Bethsaida. Get in that boat and go. They obeyed. They got in the boat and they went out. It was smooth sailing. Everything was great for a while. And then pretty soon the wind kicked up. And now no longer is it smooth sailing. As a matter of fact, the direction they're trying to go, they cannot go there. God said, go here. And they literally cannot get where they were supposed to go. And they're toiling and rowing. That means intense effort and labor. Because the wind is pushing them the opposite direction of where the Lord Jesus Christ sent them. That's the fact, right? And then Jesus waited a long time while they labored. And they got nowhere. I've never been in a boat with 11 other men with, an, with oars. But I can imagine how hard it would be to all be pulling together in the same direction. Especially in a storm. So I, in my mind, I just picture this boat, these 12 guys, no life jackets, robes. 
I don't know, maybe they didn't have robes, but I just, I see that in my mind. I see oars going everywhere, and I see the boat just spinning around in the waves, and they're going nowhere. And then about the fourth watch of the night, the Bible says that Jesus came out to them walking on the sea, and here's the boat, and here's the struggle, and it said he would have passed by them. Does that not strike you as odd? The intent of Jesus was never to go to the boat. He was going to pass by. I wonder why that is. Let's put ourselves in the storm for a minute. So here we are in a great trial of our life. Brother Andrew, you're in a trial right now. You're here because you're in a trial. So here we are in a great trial of our life, and, and God has sent this into our life. And we didn't ask for it. We didn't want it. We were obeying God and we hit the storm. And the wind is blowing us the wrong direction. And we're pulling our hair out saying, God, I don't know why. I don't know what I've done wrong. Maybe I've missed it. Maybe I've made a mistake. Maybe you're angry with me. I don't know what the circumstances are, but I want to run away. I'm scared. I'm afraid. I'm frustrated. I'm bitter. I'm whatever. Fill in the blank in your life. And just when it seems hopeless in your life, here's the Son of God. But he doesn't say anything, and he doesn't stop by. He just walks past you when you're struggling. Now, I want you to think about why the Lord Jesus Christ would do that. Because it's here for a reason. I believe that he's trying to teach us a lesson here in adversity. You see, Jesus was going to look and see what they would do. There's, there's a response here that they're going to have. It's either going to be faith or fear. So you put yourself in the storm that you're dealing with right now. And what they needed to do is simply see this. Now listen, don't miss this. All that they needed was to see his mastery over what hindered them. He didn't need to say anything. He didn't need to change anything. If they responded in faith, they would have looked at him and they would have said, oh, He's the master of the waves. They would have said, oh, okay, boys, put your backs to it and let's row. He didn't need to say anything, brethren. They needed to see him. And in seeing him in his mastery, do you not think their perspective would change? He would have passed by. I don't want the Lord to look at my life and say, you know, Tom, I brought you into some storms in your life and all you ever did was fail. I, I don't want the Lord to say to me, and I don't believe that he would condemn me and beat me over the head. I don't think he would do that. I, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to face the Lord and find out that he sent this and this and this into my life and all I did was complain and all I did was pack my bags and run away and take my ball and go home and, and, and complain and blame other people instead of looking at myself and saying, God, what are you trying to teach me here? And this hurts and it's beyond me and, and I'm grieving in this thing. But maybe all I'm supposed to do in this thing is see that you have mastery over this thing that's mastering me. Can you not see, brethren, God wants to change your perspective? Do we have a right to complain? You, we, we don't have a right to complain. And it hurts. But we're supposed to just trust him. And I know it's easy preaching. Come on, it's easy for me to stand up here and say that, but, well, we've been through a little storm. Some of you are in it right now. 
And God's not looking for us to have to say anything to him. He just wants us to look at him. Remember with the feeding of this multitude, everybody comes and Jesus said to Philip, um, hey, we need to get some bread for these people. Philip said, where in the world are we going to get that much bread? We got, what is it, 200 penny worth or whatever it was. That's not even enough to feed all these people. But it says that Jesus said this to Philip to prove him, for he knew himself what he would do. Uh, Jesus sent this into your life to prove you, for he knows what he's going to do. Uh, He has a way for you to be able to deal with this storm, and he's already said to Paul, in Paul's storm, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, What Paul's response to the storm was, you know the verse. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I... Uh, glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Uh, Paul had the right response to a storm, but many of us, and oftentimes me, want to run away. Had some storms in ministry. And they hurt. What you find in ministry, brethren, is oftentimes that, that, no, not, not often, no, sometimes. Sometimes when you love, you get hurt. It happens sometimes. Sometimes there's a storm that comes into your life, and I know what it's like to feel like I want to run away. I know what it hurts like. Now we've been through a a physical storm, and, and I know what that feels like. It hurts. And I didn't even, I wasn't even the suffering one, but I know it hurts. And some of you are in that right now, and you've been through it. And it's so good to see you faithful to the Lord. I commend you. Well done. Be faithful. It just says he would have passed by. He didn't say anything. You see, there's a deliberate silence of God. And again, I don't have time to develop this, but I just want to give you the thought and then we'll move on. Remember John the Baptist? Burning, shining light. Remember? Preaches. All the things that John the Baptist did and, you know, Herod feared him, knew that he was a godly man. The next thing you know, John's in prison. And Jesus departs and leaves. He never shows up. He doesn't go visit John. He doesn't send his disciples. He leaves. And here we have the deliberate silence of God. It's a pattern with the Lord. You see, John had already been visited by the Lord and knew what his job was. He already knew. Nothing else needed to be done. Brethren, we already know what God expects us to know. Here it is. We don't need anything else. We need to trust what God said. He doesn't need to say anything else. You follow what I'm saying? That's a great truth, but, you know, we don't have time to really get into that. So here's, here's the in, intent of, of God here, a lesson to be learned in the storm. Um, we need to look beyond our circumstances and see him for who he is. See him for who he is. And maybe all you have to do is get on your knees tonight, and, and though the tears may flow, you just say, Lord, I acknowledge you for who you are. You're bigger than all this stuff that's affecting my life. And I can't see the end of it, and I'm still in the ship, and the winds are still here. But Lord, I I see you walking on the water and I see you for what you are. You're bigger than all of this. 
And now my perspective's changed because I can see you. All right. It's a thought. It's a good thought. I want you to look at, um, at the next thought here. We're in Mark chapter 6. Um, do you notice it says that uh, in verse 45 that he, he told his disciples, get in the ship and go to the other side? And we read through down to verse 52, and nowhere in that did Jesus change his orders to those 12 men. Do you see a, a change of orders? Anybody see that in there? It's not there. He said, get in the ship, go to the other side. So let me tell you something else about the contrary winds we face in life. They are not meant to change our direction and focus in the will of God. Let me say that again. Contrary winds are not meant to change my direction and focus in the will of God. It was still the will of God to go there. And the wind was not intended. It was not designed to change their direction. God never changed his mind and said, okay, boy, stop. Yeah, just go ahead. Let the wind blow you wherever it's going to blow you, and then we'll regroup. We'll figure out where to go from there. It's not what he did. He says, you get in that ship, and you go to the other side, and you're going to hit some winds, and I still want you to go to the other side. Don't change your direction in times of contrary winds. You know that a trial does not imply a transition? You understand what I'm saying? Just because we face a trial, it does not imply that God says, okay, you faced an obstacle, time to pack your bags. And every two or three years, we just unbuckle and we box everything up and we move on to the next thing because we've hit another trial. We've had another problem. It was Paul that was told the, the, the day of his conversion or the week of his conversion, he is a chosen vessel before me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. God was saying, Paul, your whole ministry will be characterized by trial, but I have called you in this direction, and no matter what you face, you keep going in that direction, because a trial does not imply a transition in my life. Now, it, it may require that. I'm not saying it never happens. God may want you to move from from A to B. But in this situation, when there's hurt and when there's sorrow and when there's grief and when there's the uncertainty and the unknown because of a problem, that does not imply that God says it's time for you to leave. It's time for you to leave. Man, I like what Paul said later in his ministry. He heard that when he first got saved. Later in his ministry, he said in Acts chapter 20, but none of these things move me. Isn't that great? God gave us an example here. I'm unmoved. Okay, Lord, so I'm facing this thing. And I don't know what to do about it, but here's what I do know. I'm going to keep pulling on that oar. And I'm not going to stop. And I may, I may read the Word of God and get nothing out of it, but I'm not going to stop opening the Bible. And I might get on my knees and the words don't come. And I feel like the heaven is like brass and nothing's getting through and you're not even there, but I'm not going to stop praying. And God, I may go to church and I feel like nobody loves me and I'm not getting anything out of the preaching, but God, I know it's not your fault. I know the problem is with me. So I'm going to still go to church and fellowship with God's people. And I'm going to still put one foot forward and I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to get into a transition in my life just because there's a time of sorrow. I'm unmoved. Just give it some time, brethren. Just give it some time and let God's grace work in your life and then things will get sweet again. And you'll taste and see that the Lord is good again. You will. Call it a season of life. 
It wasn't just a clever title that some preacher made up about six years ago. Uh, Solomon talked about it in the book of Ecclesiastes. To everything there's a season. Time for everything under heaven. Right? Time to be born, a time to die. You know all that. It's a season. It will come again. You'll hear from the Lord again. You'll have an answer of peace again. Uh, the, the waves will part for you again. That The sweetness of fellowship with God's people will be there again. It's not the way you perceive Listen, it's not the way you perceive it. Paul said to the church of Corinth, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Stop looking at your circumstances. Stop thinking you've got it all figured out. Stop presuming. Don't presume. You cannot see. We cannot see. But God can see. He can see it all. A trial doesn't imply transition. See, we, we can't presume that a, a surrender to the will of God plus an abiding love for Jesus Christ equals a life that's free of sorrow. You can be surrendered and love Jesus Christ and hit the wall. You can do that. Contrary winds, all right? Those hardships that we have in life, they're, they're woven into the fabric of our life and they're instruments of growth. God says, I want you to grow in this. You know, see, what we don't understand is the disciples had already said to the Lord earlier, here's what they said, Lord, increase our faith. You ever said that to the Lord? Praise the Lord. They didn't know what they were asking. He says, yeah, no worries, I'll do that for you. Get in a boat and row to the other side. Seemed like such a trivial thing. How many times have these guys been in a boat? Pretty much all of these guys were raised in a boat. They might have been born in a boat. You ever heard that expression? Were you born in a barn? Some of these guys were probably born in a boat. This was just an ordinary day for these guys. But they'd already said, Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, yeah, I'll increase your faith. Here's some hardship for you. It's an instrument of growth in my life. You know why God brought this thing into your life? Because he wants you to grow. He wants us to be better. He wants us to be more like him. God said to David, David, you're going to be king. You're going to be king. Saul's rule is going to be done. You're going to sit on the throne. Oh, yeah, and by the way, for 10 years, you're going to run for your life. You bet David didn't see that coming. All he knew is God said, you're going to be the king. Here's the oil. Here's the prophet. Here we go. I killed the giant, and I ran for my life. Right? That's what happens. Joseph Hey, listen, your dad and family are going to bow to you. Yeah, no worries. Hey, guys, I had a dream. You know the story of Joseph? I just had this amazing dream. He goes from the pit to Potiphar's house to the prison to the palace. What a journey that was. Joseph didn't see that coming. Brethren, if you're facing contrary winds tonight, please do not allow them to change your focus from the will of God for your life. Don't change your course. The will of God is not affected by contrary winds. We're almost done tonight. Let me give you another thought here. <clears throat> contrary winds also provide an opportunity to pull together in a common direction. There's nothing quite like a good storm to strengthen a church. Hey, we don't really think that way, do we? 
Sometimes God will bring a storm into a church because people need to be unified. Because there's a, a fracturing of unity, everybody's got agendas and things going different directions. God just brings a trial, and it's meant to galvanize the church to pull together in a common direction. God will do that in a marriage. When a husband and wife are not where they ought to be with one another, There's a lot of things we could say about that. You know, God gives us some warnings in marriage, doesn't he? About husbands and, and honoring that wife because you, your prayers will be hindered if you're, not, if you're not dwelling with her the correct way biblically, right? There's, but God will sometimes bring a storm into a marriage so that a husband and wife say, okay, you know what? We need to start pulling together in the same direction because we're going the wrong ways. God will do that in a church too. And so what a storm is, and I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to paint a good picture now of this because sometimes we don't see it. But storms provide an opportunity for us to pull together in a common direction. Pull together. They're not meant to drive the church apart. Now, this hardship, what it did was it synchronized their purpose that night. That was what the intent of God was. It's that way. Sometimes there's loss. Sometimes there's death or financial hardship or accusation. All of these things, and they're blowing contrary to the direction that we feel like the Lord wants us to go. And yet, what they are is meant to be a rallying cry for the church. Hey, listen, it's time to band together, and as I preached this morning, strive together for the faith of the gospel. Hey, listen, this is the way God wants us to go. Everything else is superfluous. Everybody get your oars and pull that direction. Let's go. And the church just moves forward because of a trial. So look at it as an opportunity to get back in sync with the program of the Lord. You know, maybe that storm in your marriage tonight is God providing an opportunity to pull you back in the same direction. You think about that. Have you noticed that the wind rarely blows the direction we're traveling? Or is it just me? It rarely blows. We talk about smooth sailing. But does that really ever happen in life? That happens on the movies. That's about it. But the, the wind doesn't hardly ever blow the direction I'm traveling. I, it always seems like I'm swimming upstream. When I knew that God was going to move us, I sat down and I thought, I'm 45 years old, and I'm all the way back here at square one again. How did I get here? You know that whole don't pass go, don't collect $200 thing? It seems like everything I'm doing in my life is I'm swimming upstream. Do you ever feel that way? Like the wind is always blowing against me. And sometimes you feel like, couldn't I just enjoy what it's like to float on the wind for just a little while? Can't I rise above it? Can't, can't I be on the mountain for just a little while? Well, that never really helped anybody. Have you noticed that? A life of ease is never really very good for a child of God. It always leads to a bad place when we're just too comfortable. So God brings a bit of affliction into life, right? That's what he does. I know some of us don't like that, but it doesn't change the fact. How do we know it's fact? Because as far as I can tell from the time I see the Bible begin until the last part of it, every person that's faithful that we see in the Word of God, I can't think of a single one that didn't have an affliction. Which means God's trying to teach us something here. So the last thought then is this, and, and then we'll be done. I told you it wasn't preaching as much as just some thoughts, but here it is. Sometimes, sometimes, there is more value in rowing than in resting. Sometimes there's more value. You know the Bible says in all labor there's profit, right? 
And sometimes in our lives, it's more valuable to us in our maturity and growth to be rowing than to be resting. And we like the rest and we don't like the row. Sometimes it's just more valuable. I'm not discounting the seasons of rest we need along the way, but there's times in life where God says, okay, now you need to get back in and row that boat. All I wanted to do tonight was encourage you because some of you have said that I'm in a storm. And I want to ask you these questions that we've talked about tonight. <clears throat> Can you see Jesus is above the storm of your life? Can you see it? Because sometimes in a storm you can't, you, you know it intellectually, but you don't really see it when you're in the middle of it. And I'm here to tell you he's above all of that stuff that affects you. He's bigger than all that. And what he wants is he wants your perspective to change. He's not going to change your circumstances. Stop asking him to change it. What we need to be saying is, God, change me. You brought it, and it does hurt. But I can't control it. But what I can do is ask you to change me. God, help me to see what I can't see right now. Perspective. Now, God is looking at our response is it going to be faith or is it going to be fear? He doesn't really need to say a whole lot more. He already said it here. He just said, I want you to read it and I want you to believe it. And then I want you to put it into practice in your life. That's called faith. It's called faith. And then let me say lastly on this. Um, my brethren, I speak to his friends. Um, you need to care about those here enough that you consider that they're in a storm. You need to know one another well enough that you can see that there's a storm so that you can fulfill what the Bible says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I've known a lot of you for a long time, and I know I don't see the heart, but I see the countenance, and your countenance witnesses to me that some of you are in the middle of something right here. You're in it. And brethren, if I can see it, should not you be able to see it in others? And we need to be looking at one another. We're not the police. We're not policing each other's lives, but in care and concern and love, we're looking at each other and saying, I can see you're in a storm. What can I do to help you bear that burden? And so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, there's contrary winds. But we can trust the Lord in the middle of all of that. Let's pray tonight. Let's pray tonight. I'd like to ask you to just bow your head for a moment. I'm not going to ask you to stand. <clears throat> I'm not going to do that. I just want you to just let me ask you some questions. First of all this, do you realize that Jesus is above all of those things that trouble you? You see that? And I want to ask you this, um, how's your attitude and perspective in the middle of the trial that you're in tonight? Maybe what you need to do is, maybe the Lord is just burdening your heart and say, this is you now, you, you need to get your, your attitude and perspective right. I brought this thing because I'm trying to make you better, and you're fighting me because your attitude stinks. And maybe that's you tonight, and you just, just raise your hand and say, hey, that's me, I, I know that's me. My, attitude, my perspective is wrong. Thank you. Hands straight up. Anybody else? That's me. My attitude stinks. All right. 
And, and God just wants our perspective to change. Okay? What you need, those of you that raise your hand, what you need to do is you just need to see, the, you need to see Jesus in it. Because he's bigger than all that stuff in your life. Praise the Lord. I don't know what kind of contrary wind that you're facing tonight, but I know that God is bigger and God has an intended lesson for you to learn. And I want to encourage you to trust him. I want to encourage you to rest in him tonight. I'm going to have Brother Alton to begin to play. And you can remain seated, but I just want to ask you to do uh, whatever it is that God would have you to do. I, I believe you need to pray. And if you need to prostrate yourself before the Lord, then you do that. These storms were not the result of sin. Nobody made a mistake. It just gave them an opportunity to pull together. It wasn't meant to change their direction. It wasn't time to pack their bags and say, I'm searching for greener pastures. It was just time for them to see Jesus. Learn that lesson tonight. Lord, thank you for the story. And thank you, Lord, that the, the whole theme of the story is Jesus. You saw them in that boat. You knew every wave that was affecting them. You walked by them. And then, Lord, in your, in your long suffering and in your mercy, when they cried out in fear, you just stepped in the boat with them and said, all right, let's take care of this. And I'm so grateful that you do that for us. And so, Lord, I pray that those that are experiencing some storms and some different, different problems and contrary winds in their life, in their marriage and family and ministry, that they'd see Jesus in it. And they realize that it's not meant to drive the brethren apart, but to cause them to pull together in a common direction and just keep going forward. Help the church. These are your people. Help us, Lord. We, we need it. We need you. Thank you for the great and simple truths we've seen here. May you be glorified in what we do and how we do it from this day forward. We pray for Jesus' sake alone. Amen.